0: the campus of First Southern Baptist Church, rather than at Matt Castro's house campus. <laughs> the basement campus.
1: <laughs> the bar in the basement kitchen campus, whatever you want to describe it. So, so Empires of the Future, and this is our first 9-11 episode. Well, We're not going to talk about 9-11 per se, <laughs> but we will a little bit, but it's on 9-11. It is on
0: 9-11. So, here we so, go. Yeah, I want to ask you, I mean... Like you said, this is not our whole topic today, but, man, um, given people our age, uh, remember 9-11 well. Uh, where were mm-hmm. you when September 11th happened in
1: 2001? So, uh, let's see, 9-11, uh, 2001, I was a high school senior in Kyerville, Tennessee, a uh, little suburb of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and I remember I remember at lunch saying... What did we say? We were talking about uh, being some foreign. Uh, no, we were talking about being someone. I must have uh, some some private plane must have crashed into into a building. Right, that was kind of the, the 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 rumor that was going around the class or around the lo- the the hallway. But then, like, it ended up being confirmed that it was some an actual airliner had crashed, and we were like talking about war with China, I can't remember exactly uh, what we were saying, but what was so um, somewhat scary for us is we have family that live in D.C., and my grandfather works um, down, at at that time he worked um, in the Department of Energy, and he did some stuff at the Department of Health and Human Services, those two departments. So, he was down in that area, you know, um, when the plane crashed into the Pentagon. Wow. And I remember, like, I, think, I don't know if I talked to him that day or my mom talked to him that day just to confirm that you know, he was okay. Hmm. Um, and then uh, I remember going up to D.C. Um, not too much, not too long after... That event for a wedding and we went up there for a wedding me and my mom did and driving by the building and seeing the massive black hole it was really scary looking just really eerie and that's when they started like they set up the uh like surface to air missiles around the pentagon um because of and you heard you heard like fighter jets at different times you know they were doing like flying around the city uh and so that was just a really weird uh thing i mean you used to go to dc Growing up, because I wouldn't go up there to see family, we'd go downtown often, and it was just different to see so much security. Uh, I think at that time, I think it was around that time, that then you couldn't uh, get as close to the White House as you were able to, and they had built these big, kind of like, cementic walls around a lot of major um, um, capital um, buildings and, and and monuments and museums and things like that, and so it was a different place. Uh, and I think America has changed. I mean, changed a lot since nine eleven. Um, we're still probably feeling the effects of that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, and I did go to New York. Have you, have you been to New York since nine eleven? No. Okay, yeah, so we went to New York uh, a few years after that, and uh, they were at that point starting to build this the the, the building they were going to build to replace the the twin towers, and uh, they had. Basically, um, because the building had gone down into the ground and there was a subway station underneath, um, there was mass. Basically, kind of like a, it seemed like a massive like, uh, like uh, I don't know, like a quarry, quarry kind of like really like big, big hole that they were kind of building up to build the to build the building, and I guess they were probably going to put a subway station underneath, or had already built a subway station or rebar will rebuilt. A subway station but you could actually see still kind of like some of the buildings around the World Trade Center this was a few years later still like you could tell they had been damaged right. because those buildings had fallen right so so I got to go to both cities at different times and kind of see somewhat the effects and it was weird I went to I went to New York as a I think a ninth grader and that was when the Twin Towers were so up I remember being able to see the towers from way like miles and miles away and now you go into that city you went, I went, we went to the city, and you just aren't there anymore. And that's yep. a, you know, a weird look.
0: So. Yeah. Uh, I was in college. I was at uh, Mid-Continent College, Mayfield, Kentucky, a little Bible college there. And uh, it, it, I guess one thing that probably a lot of people don't hear, uh, you kind of uh, alluded to is, man, through the course of that day, nobody knew what was going on. Right, yeah. And there was all this, maybe it's an accident, mm-hmm. maybe, and then... Well, why would two planes hit the world both right. world trade towers? Huh? Right. How about the Pentagon? Are right. they trying to hit somewhere else? And right. I mean it was such confusion no matter I mean the news was confused, and so any of us around the country were confused right um and really I, what I can remember is standing uh in, like, a commons area at the college and watching the planes hit the World Trade Center. You know, the yeah. news does, they kept showing it yeah, over sure. and over and again, yeah. and you just, uh, everybody was in show shock about it. And the real feeling uh, that I got the longer I hung around there, I was a commuter, so it was, I'm gonna go ahead and go home. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Got back into town, people were lined up down the roads at gas stations. There concerned there's going to be a you gas know shortage of, lack gas. shortage of gasoline yeah. and these sorts of things and uh, thankfully I didn't need gas I just went home and um, it was you know it, like you talk about a lot of things changed in that in that day and then for the expectation um, in the following months was you know look everyone, there are probably going to be a bunch more terrorist attacks. Yeah, that was the thought. I mean, and that was it was it was it was as if the entire country was prepared, mm-hmm. and and I mean, everybody was told to keep an eye on any yeah. public transportation that you have. Keep right. an eye on any so anything vulnerable that is also flammable or mm-hmm. prone to explosion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was a countrywide effect as far as heightened suspicion, alarm about. Who knows what they will hit next? Because this was so unexpected. Right. So. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and I remember I was again I was in high school and we had cross country practice. This was in September, and I remember not wanting to go to cross country practice. I remember just wanting to kind of sit at home and watch uh, the just watch the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny when events like that happen. You just get so fixated. On more information, and you just wanted more information. And I I wasn't I was eight. I wasn't even eighteen yet. So I was mm-hmm. seventeen, and I still was like very like like you know, I was affected by it in some ways. I mean, we had a family member that like worked in the city in D C. And so that was you know that was kind of like startling. Um, and you just didn't want to do anything. You didn't really want to go to school. You didn't really want to go to cross country practice. Just wanted to just sit at home and uh, and just keep watching that scene over and over again, that plane crashing into the building. And I remember the the scene that I thought was fascinating was that, and you've probably seen the the clip when, because at the time when it happened, President Bush or George W. Bush was reading at, at a right. school in Florida right. uh, to some children, and one of his aides whispered in his ear. You could tell like his face just kind of mm. shifted, and they immediately, I think not immediately, but soon after the like the book was read, they bring him out and get him airborne right to get him up and he was up in the air for a while Mm -hmm. you know because they didn't know really where to take him at that point because they didn't know if dc was the white house i think was a target right right um Mm -hmm. and uh so just like that that whole scenario and story is fascinating and interesting and how you know this could be this is a discussion of a different podcast and, and i know you're interested in kind of like presidential history but you know George W. Bush and President Bush's presidency changed oh, yes. that day. Yes, he did not define his presidency Not at all. Al Qaeda did. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, he had. I mean, at that point, he's reading to children. You know, and, and remember, like he one of his major domestic policies was no child left behind. Right. 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 He did not want to be. I- I'm pretty sure George Pre- President Bush did not want to be known as
0: the war on terror president. No, not at all. Not at all. all. And you know, uh, that is fascinating. Um, Having now completed the podcast I've talked to you about multiple times, the presidential podcast, I've Mm -hmm. been through all... This is... um, You might think, you're tempted to think, well, but all presidents face you know, international challenges. Like, well, there are international challenges, you know, right. like the Dutch want more trade. Right. And then there's September 11th, right. you know, uh, yeah, there's not, there's
1: Pearl <laughs> Harbor and then
0: there's, you know, discussions with Russia on. Yeah. And I mean, issues. so for instance, Bill Clinton faced very few right. international right. challenges. Right. Uh, neither did uh, Barack Obama had more, but nothing compared to September 11th. Right. Um, and, and I mean, Donald Trump's presidency is now defined. Whether he wins uh, this right. election right. or not, it is defined by the coronavirus. It very much is. Uh, and yeah. That's just and that happens. It happens to certain presidents. Right. It's odd. Yeah, it,
1: it is fascinating. I mean, you can go down the list of uh, usually the the president is defined by the events that happen during his, mm-hmm. during his presidency and. Uh, and those, a lot of those events are beyond, are way beyond his control. Oh, yeah. You know They happen, and then you have to make a decision, right? And that decision is historic. You mm-hmm. know? The decision to go into Afghanistan and the decision to go into Iraq was based off 9-11. It was not based off... and It's not based off, well, his father didn't finish the war, so therefore that's why he attacked Iraq. And it was based off 9-11. There was mm-hmm. a change in psyche that happened in that Oval Office right. and the decisions that were made were based off that event you can disagree with them all you want and that, that's perfectly fine you can speculate on this and that but that event this, the, the event that we're celebrating, that we're looking at 19 years now is an event that has changed history
0: absolutely and it's
1: still rippling yes you know through us a little bit and our psyche and things like that so yeah 19 years interesting mm-hmm. yeah 19 years Good transition into the article entitled The Unhappiest Religion in All the World. (laughs) Right.
0: So, yeah. So the theme today, um, is speech still free? Mm -hmm. We've got a couple of articles uh, about this, and we introduce here the subject of political correctness, Mm -hmm. and this is tied closely together with the question of free speech. Um, and this article is really personal. Uh, I had never heard of, of Nick Cave. This is, by the way, uh, The Unhappiest Religion in All the World by Stephen McAlpin. Uh, StephenMcAlpin.com is where we got this. Uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, I had never heard of them uh, before you sent me this article, uh, but I did listen to them, and it's uh, music is... Uh, very theatrical um, but he's known for giving a voice to sadness. Here's the way uh, he is described uh, quote the Australian musician has built a career exploring the dark and deadly things of life and has had his fair share of misery not least of all the tragic death of one of his twin teenage sons a few years ago after a cliff fall in the UK town of Brighton. Uh, The tragedy forced Cave, his wife and remaining son to leave the town and relocate to the U.S. because uh, they could not bear to be near the site. Mm-hmm. And um, he's known, I mean, honestly, uh, he's known as sort of uh, writing songs of lament mm-hmm. uh, in, in our terms. That way. He doesn't yeah. he doesn't phrase it that way, yeah. but we know in the Bible that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, followed by lamentations... Yeah. And uh, I think we've talked about it on this podcast before that uh, the only, in my, my estimation, the only real place where songs of lament have a, just a definite home is in country music in this yes, country. Yes, that's right. That's an entire section of songs. Right. Because uh, it's about life. It's about right. broken
1: heart. It's yep. about struggle. Um, it's not rock and roll. It's just about
0: pleasures of life. Right. 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 Um, and, and, you know, this is his niche, Mm -hmm. is writing sad songs and Mm -hmm. uh, against all odds I think a lot of people might say well how are you going to find an audience but he certainly has sure Um, there's a quote in here from him uh, mercy is a value that should be at the heart of any functioning and tolerant society. Mercy ultimately acknowledges that we are all imperfect, and in doing so allows us the oxygen to breathe, to feel protected within a society. Through our mutual fallibility, without mercy, a society loses its soul and devours itself. Hmm. So obviously he's pretty philosophical as well, mm-hmm. uh, that he thinks about what we need. Uh, I, now... Tell me how you encountered this article. Yeah, for going it certainly to ask me wasn't questions. because you knew Nick Cave. No,
1: right? uh, so um, our church, Redeemer Fellowship Church, is a part of the Sojourn Network, Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky, which has got a few different campuses in the Louisville area. Southern Baptist Church, but more um, I don't know what the term contemporary is is maybe a, a, an odd term to say, but it's more modern of a church, right? It's it started on. Bartstown Road, you know, kind of uh, trying to reach artists and musicians and things like that, so they um, and so one of their one of the guys on staff of the network, Casey, uh, sends out like an uh, sends out an email every week I believe with different articles and stuff just things that just kind of like maybe kind of like basically instead of doing it by a podcast, he it by email sends out these articles that some of them were kind of funny, some of them are more interesting, and this was on there, and I remember just kind of catching my eye. Because anytime you have an article, the unhappiest religion in all the world, that tends to, especially for Christians, it's like, or for pastors especially, like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You kind of like you, you kind of grab onto it and read it. And so, I even though I read this article, I didn't like go out and listen to Nick Cave music because honestly, I didn't want to listen to really sad, miserable music. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm good. I'm I, I can put yeah. that aside. But I was interested in the in the content of the article and just um, and we have talked a little bit a lot about this about really the kind of the cancel culture Uh, and i remember i've said this a lot in sermons and if you want any, if you want to see something that was similar to the spanish inquisition look at the cancel culture it's a very similar result of you've broken x law you're now judged you know and then you know for the spanish inquisition they sent you to the the burning stakes we don't do that but but because that wouldn't because that's not politically correct uh to do that so what we do is we just cancel that's kind of sure. the judgment but that's very similar to the spanish inquisition and then we all i mean mighty pythons used to make fun of the spanish inquisition right i mean it, was, it has a, a sense of it's, it has a sense of horror yeah. to it and we understand what it set. what it would but really that's what's Going on with cancel culture, it's it's just misery, misery plays. It's just like there's no grace, there's okay. no mercy, and Nick gr I mean, he he hits it right when when he kind of uh, evaluates it.
0: Yeah, yeah. We uh, yeah, uh, it's it's great that we are on this topic this week. Um, I ended up listening to a podcast, uh, on the great books podcast about uh, the Tocqueville Democracy in America. Mm -hmm. It's a big book. I've tried to get into it before. It's very hard. It's large, so it's Mm -hmm. hard to really get into. And Mm -hmm. so they summarized uh, some things in there. And wow, it was just really striking because uh, Tocqueville actually saw a couple hundred years ago some of the weaknesses of democracy. And they Mm -hmm. are precisely what you just said, that Mm -hmm. In the Spanish Inquisition, you would attack the body. But 200 years ago, Tocqueville saw democracy. And and probably one of the best things about the podcast is they talk about his background. He's the son of an aristocrat who lived French, in the yeah. old French world. Yeah. And he was born 16 years after the French Revolution. And so his parents were nearly... His parents were arrested. They, they daily saw family members and other aristocrats dragged out and... Oh. Put to the guillotine yeah and it said they said that by the time he was born they were only in their early 20s uh, Tocqueville's parents and his, his father already had completely grayed hair his mother shook and had nerve issues for the rest of her life because you know if you don't know if you're dying today or not and then if you just watch your friends uh, leave uh, and be killed and yeah. then you feel uh, happy that it wasn't you and then you feel guilty because it was oh, them yeah, and, right, and all right, the stress that they right, went through. That was with them for the rest of their life. And so Tocqueville had a, a, a great, let's say, motivation yeah. to think about government mm-hmm. and, and what was coming because the French were not nearly as, uh, I wouldn't call the American Revolution mild, but the French were much more volatile yes. uh, in their revolution. And um, so he watched. And Jefferson
1: believed we should have gotten involved. In their revolution, in a sense, to support the people's overthrow of the aristocratic society and the monarch and oh, things, wow. and what and 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 but not really knowing what was truly going on, they were not having the same revolution that. Right,
0: was having. Right. A different history in France, so Very a different nice. future. Mm-hmm. And so Tocqueville has all these insights about what's happening with democracy in America, and he says, you know, watch. This was 200 years ago. It's amazing. He says, here's the thing. They're not going to attack the body in a democracy. He said the, the battleground is in the soul. It's mm-hmm. about ideas, right. and you can go and do as you like with your body, but in a, demo- in a democratic society, you go straight for the soul, and you say you can't think that way, and right. you can't have those ideas and if you think about your example of the Spanish Inquisition and, and drawing and quartering someone or you know, well think about, the side of that would invoke sympathy for them mm-hmm. and we don't, we don't want to do that anymore because mm-hmm. the battle is over sympathy. Mm-hmm. It's all about who should we be sympathetic towards mm-hmm. in our current moment and the, uh, the punishment has been flipped upside down. Used to be under a monarch for uh, all of the Middle Ages, uh, and into the late Middle Ages and the Reformation in these times, people were controlled in their body but allowed to think as they wanted because when you have a monarch, that's how it works. Right. You control bodies. Right. But now we have free society individualism, so you can do what you want physically with your body. But the the issue that we are facing in our society right now is all about, but you can't think just anything, and you can't not definitely can't just say anything, right? And but you have all
1: these platforms by which you can supposedly do all these things. <clears throat> we'll talk about that in the next article. But so you've got these portables, portals, which are set up to be free space, speech speech zones. Yep. But really, they are they maybe seem that way on the on the surface, but the content by which you submit is not free. And um, and if you say anything or comment on anything in a way or in a, uh, or you mention something with the wrong words or the wrong phrasing or the wrong definition or the wrong meaning, um, there is a uh, there is a there is a judgment that happens. Um, tolerance there is no tolerance for. All things there's only tolerance for things that are agreed upon and and, and stated with in, in, in regards to the masses or the majority and and so once you are judged and, and, and cancelled um, mercy is not offered to to any of these people but yet you have these platforms by which are set up for you to be able to speak
0: right yeah and so um, we need to get there we need to sharpen that uh, and, and it, it is fascinating. My sense about Nick Cave is because he's been hurt so badly, Mm -hmm. he has thought much more than the average person about things like mercy, about how hard we are on each other. uh, Artists in general are sensitive souls. uh, Right. And one who has been hurt uh, as badly as he seems to have been um, has thought in depth about mercy. Uh, He says... Mercy allows us the ability to engage openly in a free-ranging conversation, an expansion of collective discovery toward a common good. If mercy is our guide, we have a safety net of mutual consideration, and we can, to quote Oscar Wilde, play gracefully with ideas. And we should, before we continue on, mercy is not giving people what they deserve in terms of punishment. It is uh, is being generous and not... uh, We've all been in a conversation at some point where... You can tell somebody's just getting ready to pounce on you. Right. Uh, that you say words, and it's, 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 yeah, what do you mean by that? Yeah, right. It's <laughs> like, right. right. okay, I, I guess know. I should be more on edge than I was because... And, and, and I think anyone who has been on social media for more than one day, whether you're talking about Facebook or Twitter Instagram, anything you notice within the first day, oh, this is a place where if you say the wrong thing, someone will jump on your case mm-hmm. immediately. And mm-hmm. and and not only is it a someone might jump on you in the opposite, you'll be warned by your friends. Hey, hey, let's just let me help you. Let's just back down. Mm-hmm. You can't be saying you know mm-hmm. bold things or certain uh, types of things. Uh, and, and so here, here's his punch yet mercy is not a given it is a value we must nurture and aspire to tolerance allows the spirit of inquiry the confidence to roam freely to make mistakes to self correct to be bold to dare to doubt and in the process to chance upon new and more advanced ideas without mercy society grows inflexible fearful vindictive and humorless mm. as far as I can see cancel culture is mercy's antithesis Political correctness has grown to become the unhappiest religion in the world. Its once honorable attempt to reimagine our society in a more equitable way now embodies all the worst aspects that religion has to offer and none of the beauty, moral certainty, and self-righteousness shorn even of the capacity for redemption. It has become quite literally bad religion run amok. And this... is we should clarify this man is not a believer. No. This man just has swam in the depths of yeah. what political correctness is, and this is his conclusion. Yeah. About it. Um, I didn't You know that you're talking about democracy in,
1: in America and Dakota Bill and and I'm trying to go back to my reading of that like in the past. But you know, he talks about the power of the people, you know, and you know, in a democracy when you don't have a king who has basically absolute power in some ways. Or you you have a your king and a parliamentary government, right? And there's a partial democracy, right? But right. you've got a you've got a parliament and a king and they have to work together, right? Um, when you have the power of the country being in the hands of the people, yep. this when you want when you want certain policies, you don't have a king by which you by the generousness of his heart or by his wisdom decides for the sake of the equality of the people, I'm going to do X. Right, true. Sure. Instead, the people demand something, yep. and then they go into action. Yep. And if there's anyone who's not a part of the people's, you know, the group that's wanting to change something, well, then you're an enemy, right? Yep. Um, and you're in the way of this future. Um, and that is some of the dangers of democracy, the dangers of yep. people with power. Right. Um, and and so there's a thought that democracy as what is it Trump, uh, didn't Churchill say democracy is the worst religion or, or the, worst, the worst sorry the worst form of government it just happens to be the less worst of the, the best of bad bad options yeah, basically sure. um, and uh, and so when you have in our society in our culture uh, we don't have a monarch we don't have a king the people have the power uh, and then you create this system like Facebook or social media by which people with the power can then speak um, you're going to have some messiness and some some bloodiness that happens on on these systems and it is uh, it can create a lot of misery as I don't know if you've experienced on faith on social media but and I haven't experienced like major like backlash on social media uh, too much because I don't try to be too opinionated on there. I try to be opinionated in person, <laughs> not on social media, right? Um, or in like writing or in any other forms of communication that's well better thought out than yep. social media. Um, but I know other people who live off of social media, right? They 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 are posting stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of backlash that these people get, and it can be quite damaging.
0: Yeah, uh, I thought about. The world that you and I live in, uh, meaning being a minister. Right. And one of the trainings, uh, it, it, I think getting into ministry is very, very difficult because anybody who's done it has experienced the fact that you have to learn to do about 10 things at once. Right. When you are going into ministry. Right. And one of those things, the thing that's most relevant to our discussion right now is you have to learn <laughs> how to pick your battles. mm mm-hmm. How uh, how your words carry weight, Mm -hmm. and an offhanded comment Mm -hmm. in in a personal setting. um, I mean, just to take an example of uh, if you tell someone, "Hey, you know, when you taught today, you just didn't do a very good job." (laughs) You can really drag somebody down quickly. Yeah. Because your words carry a lot of weight. Right. And so you learn to weigh your words carefully as a minister. Right. Because your encouragement is worth a lot, even more so, your negative words carry a lot of weight. Right. And I think, honestly, one thing I thought about just this morning that uh, in reading in both of these articles about what's going on with... uh, social media with our words with the way people use their speech Mm -hmm. today it's like everyone has been brought into this world that hey listen, your words carry weight and a lot of people in fact what I would call the majority of people have a really hard time navigating that Mm -hmm. fact Mm -hmm. Um, and still frankly the calculation I've seen from most ministers is what you you were kind of stepping in there which is I just don't want to upset the apple carts on any social media platform. If I'm gonna upset apple carts, I'll do it in person so right. I can gauge what's happening more. Right. And, and 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 you know, frankly, you know multiple things such as if I can't say it live with other people around me, then I don't need to be saying it no, on social media it, anyway. Right. Uh, and, and so, and that's good. I mean, that's mm-hmm. healthy. Right. Uh, it, And so there are, uh, everybody knows this, there are uh, Twitter warriors and there are uh, Facebook warriors and Instagram, people who are adept at just saying their piece and then going on with their life. Um, And that makes for a very challenging uh, situation because a lot of what I do with the various social media that I have is just, I spend... 10 minutes a day. I don't put them on my phone because I don't want them there. Mm-hmm. I, I look at them on my laptop. Uh, similar to my newspaper reading time, I'll look at it, sign out, and go, there was my 10 minutes. Yeah, It's great. Yeah. And um, managing all of this is, is a big challenge in and of itself. Um, but what is strange and shocking to me in, in, in thinking about all this is that at least in a church, you get real give and take to learn how negative statements impact people and how positive statements impact people. You don't get any understanding of how all this works by using any of these social media platforms. You just do your thing and then you go about your day and you can't learn much about what you did, who it impacted, whether it was positive or negative. We hear things, we've heard so many things over the years about well don't get on social media if you're sad because you're going to see people doing happy things. And so we all thought, well, maybe should I should put my down things on there. You know, I mean, things that we just kind of go, I don't even know what to do with that information exactly. Yeah. Um, and so all of this to say, there's a very powerful point that he raises here. And we really, we really need to answer this question, all of us, not just you and I, but... Uh, is the message of cancel culture. There is no redemption.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, And he he just states that. Yeah.
1: Uh, Categorically,
0: as a matter of fact, he says there is no redemption in this system. Uh, Inherent in that statement is, one, this is a moral system. Mm -hmm. Two, it's a moral system that only, only (laughs) can either leave you in some middle ground. Um, I'll show my bias to what that middle ground is and call it purgatory. But your options are purgatory or hell. <laughs> and really, I mean yeah, I think that's a very reasonable lens to use to look to look at uh what these social media platforms are because yeah, there are people, you could name people, we could list people who are in hell media yeah. personalities yeah celebrities yeah uh who have been cancelled mm-hmm. and are gone mm-hmm. um and and never seen again that's right I, I don't know if uh, anyone's I'm not gonna like to
1: anyone watch the show it's got a lot of cussing in it and everything but uh, ABC uh, I'm sorry Apple has a new streaming system and they have a show called The Morning Show and it has Jennifer Aniston and release uh, Renice Re- Reese Witherspoon and Steve Carell Mm-hmm. And Steve Carell basically plays a fictional version of Matt Lauer. Right. And the show is really a fictional version of the NBC Today Show. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the show kind of starts with basically this the um, Matt Lauer, Steve Carell's Steve Carroll's character um, had his affairs in with women in the show, like it, behind the scenes, and they'll become public. And he's been fired, and he's been disgraced, and he's like. Um, and this, the story is kind of a, how the show carries on post him but then his kind of desire to be vindicated mm-hmm. you know but yet as, as it's funny because while we we're watching the show I've been talking about Matt Lauer and how that whole story ended up you know kind of evolving and uh, Matt Lauer is not on television for what I know right. he has no major platform from what I know I'm pretty yeah. sure he doesn't have any YouTube platform or yeah. Netflix platform or anything like that He's not doing, like, documentaries or other type of shows whatsoever on any platform that I know of. So he's been canceled. Like, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Hell is a great illustration of where he is now. Uh, and I don't think he's going to be... Since he's a journalist, he doesn't play an actor. Mm-hmm. He plays himself right. on television, basically. Um, he is He has kind of been kind of labeled as a sex offender. Uh, he uses... You know, basically uses his power to manipulate young women to have sex with him, and that's kind of where he's been allocated and canceled, and no one's saying what he did was wrong, and no one's saying he shouldn't have been fired. But um, I wonder, um, does what what is the future of Matt Lauer? Like, is that even a question anyone thinks? Probably not, because he's right. he's an enemy of the state, right? He's been removed from the scene. Who gives a crap what happens in his life? He's dead to everyone. But that there's still a human being. And I think Nick Cave brings this out. He has a soul. Right. And the soul of a man who has made... yes yeah, committed sins. So call it sins. Um, and he has done evil things and has been judged by the people. Is he then just kind of thrown into the dumpster? Or right. is he still to be um, thought about and hope that he f- finds redemption? Wouldn't it be great for Matt Lowry to to say, what I did was wrong... I've, um, you know, I think what what I've done is is is, is, is evil, and, I, and and I want to help create a society where that doesn't happen anymore. Should we celebrate that eventual
0: future? Right. So there's there's a, to sharpen the question we're dealing with here. Is redemption even a possibility? I I think about, uh, you said Matt Lauer. Uh, I got out, I I remember the last time I watched the Today Show was probably 20 years ago, but uh, I got into CBS this morning. I remember when it started because I liked Charlie Rose.
1: Yeah, right. And uh, I think Charlie
0: Rose has had a great career interviewing people. And Mm -hmm. and then, of course, Charlie Rose uh, was canceled Mm -hmm. uh, for a less direct offense than Matt Lauer. Um, and Charlene Rose, as far as I know, is not working now. He's an older man, but he was working. Mm-hmm. And and the question here, really, in this moral system, I, I mean, everybody Bill should Bill O'Reilly be. was another one, right? Yes, Bill O'Reilly he was, was another...
1: I mean, of all the more popular ones, Bill O'Reilly was the number one cable news show mm-hmm. in the evening. I mean, on Fox, he, he, his numbers were far higher than Wolf Blitzer or Anderson Cooper or any mm-hmm. of the other guys. On nightly news, I mean, Bill O'Reilly was from many uh, conservative families and households. Bill O'Reilly was the man who told
0: the news. Sure, right. Sure. So there have been quite a few, but let me do it this way. Um, this was this was what occurred to me when when he made this statement uh, that is Nick Cave and said, uh, "Cancel culture is mercy's <laughs> cancel culture is mercy's antithesis." Uh, There is no redemption in it. Mm -mm. It it occurred to me, wow, this is considerably beyond an eye for an eye, the Old Testament brutal system of justice, Because, because everybody needs to remember that if you took out somebody's eye, justice was, your eye would also be plucked out. Right. But, here, and and we all focus on that moment, which is a terrible moment. But then, listen, after that, there's redemption. Right. The the wrong in that system has been atoned for as well as we could. Yes, their weakness is very apparent. You have two people with plucked out eyes, but there is redemption. Mm-hmm. This, this person is now able to go on with their life mm-hmm. and people would look at them and they would go, oh wow, I should never do what that person did because it cost them an eye. And all of the things that we have in a moral system, uh, in terms of sympathy, in terms of understanding consequences for actions, go on after that. But, and and I would just say it like this, because cancel culture, because political correctness is still in its infancy as a moral system, all you have is condemnation. You, there is no redemption and and by the way again I will say purgatory there is no it's not as if right now out there there's anybody who has tenure or anybody who oh well you now that you have attained right. to yeah. some level right. you have you, equity and you society. could never be cancelled right nope okay. everyone needs to be walking on the eggshells right. Right. including
1: like President Obama who sure. I would think the Obama family Michelle and Barack are, are two individuals in popular culture that has, a large, a large uh, bank account full of equity when it comes to popular culture. You know. Um, but I think in the world that we live in today, if they were to step beyond the bounds, if they were to do something, they're, they're pretty careful with their words, right? right? They're very smart people. But if they were to slip,
0: yeah.
1: or a, a, an audio was discovered, or a video was discovered, and they said something, say they said something against Black Lives Matter, because put more than possible they could state something like, "I don't think the movement of Black Lives Matter uh, should be given as much uh, presence in, in our political system." I think some of its ends are socialistic, and I disagree with some of their ends. Um, I do support that we, uh, you know, blacks, Black Lives should have value, and they shouldn't. They should be given. Uh, opportunities and these type of things, but I don't think the movement is wrong And it ends. I think if they were to say that, that was to be slipped. I think they would lose all that equity immediately. Yeah. They would be canceled. Yeah. Oh, he's not legitimate to us anymore as a leader. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. And I think that that's the issue, I think. It's the slip. Like, if you said something, if you presented your opinion, and even if you agreed with nine out of the ten things that a group said, but then the one thing you had issues with, because you don't agree with the whole <laughs> You're kind of outcast or pushed to a side, and that therefore limits any type of um, understanding in the moment or saying try to understand where I'm coming from, or um, you know, or even later on saying, you know what, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I regretted that I that I had that I've come to realize that that this is actually what I think. Yep. You know, there's no place for that. There's no space for that. You you're like, well, you you had your moment in time. You had your space but you messed up yeah. you are therefore are, are nothing yeah. to us and that is a, a very dangerous place and you can't as we're going to about, you can't have free speech you can't have pluralistic ideas you can't have pluralistic institutions if that is the status quo
0: right and uh, another thing that I, I think should be said about this is that we have arrived here not Just because of um, political currents. Um, I think that in part, this is something we're all dealing with because of the level of technology that exists in our world. Uh, Richard Nixon was the first person to find out hey, recordings could really cause you problems. Yeah. Uh, The first one to really find that out. I mean, um, and, and we all are living in this world where we walk around having to go, Am I being recorded right now? Right. I'm outside of a bank, and I'm certainly being recorded. I'm outside of right. my church. Am I being recorded right now? Well, it's right. probably satellite. So, and we go. I, I don't. I don't know that. But then we all walk around every day, uh, and, and and we are being recorded in many situations. Um, there was, I mean, during George Bush's presidency, again, there was a scandal of of a long distance microphone that was pointed at him when he was in Britain, and uh, they caught him off the cuff talking to Tony Blair. And I remember there's a very like what I would call a small scandal George Bush might say a cuss word to another world leader in everyday conversation you know what I mean right Uh, and and goodness I mean that was a funny moment because you're not safe I mean if they have a long distance microphone uh, they might have gotten you yeah Um, and we live in that world now and, and it reminds me in some ways what is so strange about being a believer in this time is that we've been prepared for some of this stuff because we are the people who believe, look, every word and deed that we yeah. do is known to God right. and we will answer for right. them. It comes from our hearts. And that's yeah. a hard reality. Yeah. That's a heavy reality. Yeah, But every person on this planet now has to be aware that you may answer for every single thing you say or have ever said or have ever done. But not just to God, to some person who's got a beef with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's heavy. That's yeah. very heavy. Um, and so I, I do. I think it's time we, we try to push towards that transition. Because this this element here, we, we have two elements that are right beside each other. This element of... of political correctness lives right alongside this question about free speech. They are not the same thing, uh, and, and so we, we have to be really clear about that uh, today. But I, I want to contrast before we do transition that what we have in Christianity is just, let's be frank, what we be, I believe very much is a much better moral system. Very much so. Jesus comes and pays for sins and says— the answer is not to walk around in self righteousness looking for ways to punish people all the time right, right. now one of the people uh, one of the groups of people he fought with the most were the church people of his day who thought that was the best ministry for them to have the pharisees and uh, mm-hmm. the, and the scribes who thought well now that we've read the law we have This ministry of condemnation, we can go around and just hammer people with the law. That is not the answer either. Mm -hmm. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. Lay down your lives for your brothers and sisters, for certain, in the church, but also lay down your life for your neighbor, for your enemy. Mm -hmm. And you go, wow, that's hard. And he says, yeah, but if you want change, Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to have to do. It's through love. It doesn't happen through punishment, through Mm -hmm. pushing and fighting and biting and gnawing. In fact, we are throughout the New Testament told, if you are attacking and biting anybody, all you're going to do is eventually destroy each other. I don't care if you're fighting with your brothers and sisters in the church or if you think you're winning by fighting with people outside of the church. That's not the way change happens. And yeah. so uh, we live in a different moral system. What is strange about all of this is that I, frankly, having grown up outside of the church, I can tell you that there's no moral education really going on right. in schools. And, hey, look, I know, maybe in ethics class isn't meant for a high school classroom, no, I would say it is. Uh, but moral systems and moral education has not had a place in this country for quite a while, and it shows now. We have a very undeveloped system of morality that we're operating off of. Right. Um, so let me, let me just uh, mention this last quote of this article, and then let's transition. Um, Here's what we're going to get with cancel culture, uh, McAlpin says. An interminable dullness, a dreary conformity in which the cultural gloriometer will be run over every public piece of art or declaration or attempt at greatness to see if it conforms to the great gray globule of groupthink that was crafted in some neon-lit government office, and then, and only then, will we be allowed to engage with it, if we can even be bothered, which should all mean that the happiest religion in the world should be the religion that is most at home around mercy, compassion and forgiveness. The happy people should be those who having received mercy, compassion and forgiveness should offer mercy, compassion and forgiveness and do so in the midst of a culture of unhappiness and hatred. It should also mean those people should be the most creative too.
1: This is probably one of my favorite aspects about this article and I'm glad you brought it out is the the effects on the creative soul. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you... And this is... You're, you're already seeing this with the NBA. You're seeing this. You're going to see this with Hollywood. You're going to see it in other areas that if, if, if people define what is, what is moral based off of, you know... Not, we're not talking about the Bible. We're not talking about God's Word. We're not talking about God's divine standard. We're talking about what we believe is right um, in our eyes. Yep. Well, then every artist... Uh, or any business that uh, that produces art will conform their art to what the people define as right. morally good. Yep. So here's the consequences. You're a Star Trek fan. This stuff's going to affect your 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 genre in a way that you're not going to like. Mm-hmm. It's going to come out. You can make a show look beautiful, you can make it look digitally creative, you can have gun battles and and very ex- exciting visuals. But the storyline's going to be flat and dull because it's got to it's got to communicate what the culture says is politically correct, and you can't get creative no. you can't and as he says here it gets dull and um and even like you know how people we're talking about you know n b a and and black lives matter and and different like um uh, politically correct statements on the back of jerseys. That how do you go? How do you go from that to then back to just names? Right. You can't go right. back. You can't go back to not having Black Lives Matter on the basketball court. You can't go back to where you can't go back to any type of like we're all going to come together and whoever whatever opinion you have is okay. We're just going. This is going to be a place where we all can come together. You can't have that. Right. The day that the the, we're about the church, the day that the church develops and says this is what is right, we're going to do this. So we can get people into the church. You can't go back. Yeah. you can't remove that away. Um, and I think every television show, every movie, every song, every lit- piece of literature will be evaluated based off what the culture says is politically correct, right. and that will be the effect. That you won't see immediately, but it will go. It'll it'll have its effect over time, and we're already seeing it with comedy. We're already seeing it with humor, um, and that's that's where. Um, and you're going to see it amongst interactions with one another. You're not going to see the sense of uh, thinking the best of one another. You're going to assume the worst. You're going to assume that people are whatever you you know whatever you assume people are. That's how you're going to interpret everything they say and do, and it's going to lead to a very um,
0: Dystopian world, I suppose. And I think it's accelerated so much that um, in a lot of ways we're already there. Uh, yeah. and we really are. And, and from the standpoint of uh, to, to sharpen, you know, the, the sorts of questions we have to deal with today. Um, so if there is no standard of beauty, if everybody's opinion is equally viable okay is child pornography beautiful right well no of course not okay well what is beautiful though mm-hmm. and and currently we st- we do pretty much live in this world of well i don't know beauty's in the eye of the be- beholder i've heard people say that and it's just that's nonsense mm-hmm. it's just nonsense uh yes uh, what i think some people mean by that is people have a sense of beauty oh i agree but is that sense of beauty absolute Uh, No, of course it's not. Well, we we have spent so long not seeking the answer to questions, then what what is beauty, then? Uh, It's something that I think we've talked about before on here, uh, that we currently still, in the Western world at least, I would love to spend some time in Eastern countries and find out, but in the Western world we have no positive standard of morality. Jesus is not the standard for all of the Western world. And what that means is, is it... Uh, that there's a top three no we just don't talk about it mm-hmm. so I don't know if the top three would be in the whole western world Jesus Mohammed and Buddha or what it would be but we don't talk about it period mm-hmm. meanwhile we only have a negative moral standard which is everybody pretty much agrees who's the most evil person mm-hmm. Hitler hit in history it is Hitler you would get, get that answer but that doesn't get us anywhere. Right. All you can say is in some caricature by the way. As a result since we're lazy about reading, people don't know anything about Hitler. Right. right. They think this guy is just some monomaniacal right. you know, mad scientist walking around going, you know, who can I kill? Who can I right. kill? Right. He, if you've never read Mein Kampf, he killed because he believed the ends justified the means. Right. He right. was trying to create a utopia. Right. And which is what people are trying to do today. That's true.
1: And they are trying to create a world that you think is the best possible world that would make everyone well, majority of people happy and mm-hmm. equal and, mm-hmm. and and satisfied. And it's, it's an attempt to do that. And and that's why the, the the desire so much to control and to push out and to say this is violent and hateful and it affects the the the, 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 the positivity or the, the goodness of the majority of the world and we want to push you away because you affect us and we want our utopian world and we want our equality we want everything that we desire to happen and you're affecting that or you potentially may affect that but the problem is is that we know throughout history that will always fail right. it will, it will, it will there's always the story always ends the people who are the smartest, the people who have the allocation of the most resources will rise to the top they will have all the power. And then they will control the people. And then the people will realize is that, you know, we, we try to control everything. We try to silence voices. We try to, to make everyone agree to us. We think that's the best possible world. And then we're going to lead. And then we have to, people then uh, disagree with us. We have to control them. And we have to, it's, it's just all about control. And then we get to the same conclusion is that humanity is by nature fallen and sinful and prideful, and against God, and only in God will people be satisfied
0: and right. complete.
1: And and that's the, that's always the end result. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So.
0: So let's do this. Um, this is going to have to be a two-parter because we've been going fifty minutes already. <laughs> and uh, I look forward. I want us to talk about how this affects the way we speak. Yeah. Um, but we can say here this has been empires of the future. And that was the first half about the nature of... This is a straight-up claim that we're making today. Political correctness is a religion. Political correctness is not a very good name for a religion. I think that you could call it... um, (laughs) Wokeism. Sure. Wokeism
1: is legitimate people.
0: And and our conclusion really is is that uh, wokeism is a cover uh for the ministry of condemnation i mean it it is it it is that religion is it is a
1: yeah and you you package it though as we you package it with the why we're doing it Mm -hmm. you know we're doing it because we believe that the future consequence of doing this will lead to a safer better world Mm -hmm. and so that is the 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 end result and so as you said the means justify the end so the means will be we have to control those and push out those that are a hindrance to that end okay. um, and and so that's why you woke warriors or cancel culture right. warriors that's a term that there's a reason why that that term exists in 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 the culture is because you are a warrior defeating what you find is an enemy to your Mm-hmm. pursue your preferred end and so there you go right you know and so either you're with us or against us right you know that's kind of the
0: the the mentality yeah so so this has been empires of the future we'll see you in the future there you go